Welcome to Inspiring Legal, the podcast for in-house legal. Get insights, learn from peers, life lessons from some of the most influential GCs. If it's related to in-house legal, we cover it. For more inspiration, go to openly.com slash community. Welcome to this episode of Inspiring Legal. I am sitting with a person that has a super inspiring background, career, and also a journey that I am stoked about telling you a little more about. I'm sitting with Jessica. So she is with a legal background, working for a Norwegian company in New York, and is the COO. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much, Tina. I'm really excited to be here. We are, as you know, a community of people with legal backgrounds working at tech companies and inspiring each other to really get a sense of what opportunities that lie ahead. Where can we take ourselves and the journey and our careers? So can you maybe tell people a little bit about you and your background and where you are today? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm the chief operating officer of a company called Whereby. Whereby are a Norwegian company. We're based uh, in, in Norway, but we have multiple entities and we are fully remote. Uh, we have a presence in the U.S., which is where I currently am in Norway, uh, in New York. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I look after the people, talent, legal, uh, customer support, finance and kind of general business operations functions at Whereby. Um, and prior to that, I've had a background uh, primarily in people operations, actually. Mm -hmm. I worked in people operations for a very long time, um, and I actually finished my law degree doing my dissertation in the legal implications of remote working cross-border in the EU. So I've always kind of been more on the employment side of things, employment contract. Mm -hmm. So what made you kind of transition into people then legal and then like such a broad role that you have today yeah so when I I mean I think from, first of all like asking 17 year olds to pick what they want to do for their career and their um, degree is insane to me but of course when I was 17 I like everybody else was picking which path I wanted to walk at university um, at the time I actually up was uh, all set to go into a law degree in the University of Queensland in Australia. And then I'd worked so hard to get into that program. All of my family kept saying, well, I've got a very large family, which I think makes a difference to the story. A lot of my family kept saying, it's going to be so difficult. You're going to be studying for years and years. It's going to be impossible. There's so much reading to do. You know how hard law exams are. Everyone's always crying. And me being <laughs> 17 was like, oh, my gosh, I've only just finished you know, finishing high school, I don't want to do this. It was really scary. So I actually pulled out of my law degree. Um, I didn't even start it. Like I pulled out two weeks before I was due to start and transit and moved into um, a communications degree. And I did my communications degree. Um, and I, I've got to say, I think the whole time I kind of didn't really enjoy it. I kind of picked it at the last minute because I wanted something else. And I thought that maybe this was aligned to the things I was good at. Um, and I ended up starting to work in people operations a little out of 
yeah, I think a lot of people kind of fall into something when you're kind of 19, 20. And mm-hmm. I would, was offered an internship and then a graduate role at BHP Billiton. But I actually really loved it. And I really particularly loved industrial relations. Um, again, a lot of the team there had legal backgrounds. Um, and I really loved HRBP work, which again, HR, so much HR work is very, very close to the kind of law that I probably would have looked at doing anyway, which is on the contract mm-hmm. and employment side. Yep. Um, but I also really like the commercial side of things. And I think that's actually something that I'm really grateful that I had the chance to do. I think that if I would have just gone down the law path when I was 17, I would have probably ended up working in an employment firm um um maybe would never even gone in house i don't know you mm. never know these things right with retrospect but it gave me the chance to really get to know how much i liked the kind of commercial side of the business as well like workforce mm. planning and understanding organizational design um and that's what really drove the next couple of years of my career as i moved into more and more strategic people operations positions and then i reached this point where i you know life is short <laughs> and i said well i might, i really <laughs> You know, I'd finished my CIPD diploma and I, I, I really enjoyed the employment law portion. And it was something that I was kind of sick of paying for employment lawyers to be advising me on everything. And I thought, I've always wanted to do this. I might as well just do my law degree finally after all these years. Uh, so I enrolled and I worked uh, full time and finished my law degree full time, which was an extreme couple of years of my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I've done I really well. back. Yes, it's intense. <laughs> It's intense, but it was great. I loved it. It was, did you feel like it was a nice compliment? Like, I feel like work can be so chaotic, but Mm -hmm. like law degrees are so like, read this book, complete this, you know, practical, whatever it needs to be, just like check the boxes that I was like, this is almost like meditative. It's so easy just to like, I can, I can read this. And then you go back to work and it's like everything's spinning around you and changing all the time. I know. Anyway, I really enjoyed that, that part of it. I'm and so how do, you, how do you go from being in Australia and then like working with people, taking your law degree full time and ending up in Norway as the COO? So I never actually worked in Norway. I, I was working in the UK for the Norwegian company. Um, okay. But how the transition happened to the UK is, I mean... So I'm I'm a first generation university graduate. My parents had never been to university, um, and for them, really, the, their their vision of success was finish your degree, whatever that is, and get a job. Um, and once you've done those two things, then you don't need to do anything else for the rest of your life. You're set. Um, and like I, you know, the world is obviously so much bigger than that, but it's really difficult if you haven't got role models in your life that have done more than like that haven't got more experience than they're expecting from you Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so I started working for BHP off the 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 back of my um, graduation and I was there for almost four years I really loved the job um, and I really loved my team and I you know had a dog and a house and a car and furniture and all the stuff And my manager slash mentor at the time, Monica, um, actually, we had a one-to-one together. And I just explained to her that I was looking for something bigger to work on at work. I felt like, you know, there's more things that we could be doing. And I was working on interesting projects. We just wrapped up this really great project around increasing um, representation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander members of the community and into um, the business. Um, And she said, have you thought about just leaving and moving to a different (laughs) country? 
And I was so offended at the time. I was like, oh, my God, she's trying to fire me. This is so unprofessional. And then I, you know, we, we obviously had a long, long conversation. And I realized that actually what she was trying to get me to do was just to make my world bigger. And she did say, like, you're always welcome back. You can always come back to the team. And we still are connected to this day. Um, but I really think that without having somebody that had kind of like this broader perspective on life really just say to me, like, try something different. Just go and do it. Um, I probably would never have been able to give myself the permission just because I'd never really seen it. Um, so yeah, I'd never actually even been to Europe when I moved here. I well, here being the UK, I packed mm-hmm. up all my stuff and moved in a couple of months, um, a very long time ago now, <laughs> but yeah, that's my story. Amazing. So today being the chief operating uh, officer at Whereby, and you mm. have of course also set I think the legal team as well, right? At, at whereby and and hired people and um, what maybe could could you try to put a few words on what are you looking for when you're hiring people for your legal team? What's the skill sets and the traits that you find to be like the key ingredients for the hire that you're looking for? Yeah, this is a great question. For me, I think the thing that is the most important is probably something that, well, may be surprising to some people. It's not necessarily having the most backed up legal knowledge in any specific area. So it's not someone saying, oh, I've seen everything before in terms of, you know, sales tax law and blah, 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 right? I don't care about that. What I really care about is someone being able to solve problems themselves using legal thinking. So being able to kind of identify which laws may be relevant to us. Um, and that obviously comes through the education that they've they've had, the legal education they've had. But the the kind of most important thing to be able to do with that is to think commercially, think how the business thinks. Um, if you have a man, uh, an engineer that wants to implement a new cookies banner that breaches some <laughs> legislation somewhere, it's not enough, I think, just to go to them and say this breaches legislation. No matter how how smart your analysis has been, no matter how brilliant your knowledge is the business will reject that kind of approach. Um, So being able to come back and really explain, well, this is is the parameters in which we have to operate. These are the ways that we can solve this problem potentially. Um, Here's some examples of other companies that have done this successfully. These are the kinds of ways that I I look for somebody to be able to kind of approach legal work within a startup um, Mm -hmm. and just being adaptable with that as well. So when you're then looking to hire a person, Mm. Is there specific ways that you are maybe identifying that? Like how, how do you, or how would a candidate that would be applying for like a role at, at whereby be able to persuade mm. you and show you that those are the skills that they have? Yeah. So I think there's kind of two parts to my answer to this. The first part is not a very great answer. I'm sorry to say, and that is honestly, like, Honestly, companies receive so many resumes um, mm-hmm. and whatever advice I give you about how to format or uh, you know approach resumes, somebody else or 20 million other people will be giving me conflicting advice. Um, that's just the nature of, unfortunately, how, how CVs work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many people go out there and say, keep everything on one page, make it succinct. Other people say, make sure that you're, you've got like output driven metrics on things. Maybe it's a combination of all of those things for different people. Um, what I probably look for at that that CV screening stage is someone with enough experience that I can see that they are capable of kind of handling the level of seniority that I'm giving them. 
Um, so if someone's coming out with uh, maybe one year PQE and I'm looking for a senior, that probably isn't going to work. Um, and then someone that maybe has worked in the kind of same industry, meaning startups. I don't need someone to be working in SaaS or it doesn't matter if they've been in e-com or anything. And, and obviously there are going to be some jurisdictional considerations there as well. So if someone has a law degree out of Kenya, they may not be super applicable if I'm looking for Norwegian privacy. Mm-hmm. Now, the better answer I can give you, hopefully, is how we <laughs> think about it on practical projects. So mm-hmm. once we've identified a kind of selection of candidates that we believe have the raw materials to really do this role, we always give a practical project and it is always paid. We make sure that we always uh, compensate people for their time that they spend doing these projects. And really, it's only a couple of hours. One of the things that I try to bake in there is this kind of level of ambiguity and problem solving and commerciality that someone would need to to show us. So, for example, um, something that we've done in the past is uh, there's a new piece of legislation. Let's just pull something out of the air. Let's just, you know, GDPR. Let's go back to 2016. GDPR has just come out and we need to do training for all of our managers on what their obligations are. Can you please create an email to send to the managers, uh, giving the highlights of what they're going to be learning after they finish the training, um, and maybe five or six slides to talk them through for half an hour, right? Um, And what that's really trying to get out of them is what are the key pieces of legislation that matter to the people you're talking to? So try and figure Mm -hmm. out who's going to be in this meeting, what are they looking for? um, And also be able to kind of tailor that effectively to that audience. Um, What we're not looking for is to a huge ream of information that is almost impenetrable to somebody that doesn't have a legal background um, or a bunch of slides that someone will sit through and their eyes will glaze over and they won't be interested in hearing about it anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, using examples of how it might apply to our business or pulling out ways that um, somebody might need to think about this in the future. These are the kinds of things I think are really beneficial. So given the fact, and the reason why I may be asking you this a little more is because you have such a unique background coming from people and culture and, and then also hiring and having that degree yourself. What mm. do you think is one of the key, let's say, things that people going in-house, either applying to whereby or considering mm. going in-house at another tech company should really consider before applying like what are different from let's say working at a law firm or working at other type of company yeah well I've never been firm side I've always worked with the the legal teams in any company that I've been in with in-house but I can tell you one of the things that I've had repeated to me by multiple people that I've I've worked with and that I you know friends and at at school as well um, is just how much more chaotic the work you're looking at will be (laughs) that's no there's no better way to describe it like I think um you may get a certain degree of chaos from clients coming through Mm -hmm. to you like I I did a a placement in a employment law firm and you do get a bit of chaos from clients not knowing exactly what they you know should or shouldn't be thinking about or maybe saying like I know you said not to email them but I've already emailed them and this is what I said like these are the kinds of things you deal with Um, but in um in a startup it's much more likely that you're going to have a VP of sales approaching you and saying, hey, I've just found, uh, I just sent this email to one of our customers that had a bunch of documents in it I shouldn't have sent. What do I do? And then you're all of a sudden going to have to kind of respond to this in quite quite quickly. Meanwhile, someone else might tag you in a long discussion on Slack about sales tax in India, something you have no knowledge about and you have to work with finance very quickly to understand it. 
um, you're not going to be working safely within the kind of framework of whatever business unit you've been assigned to. You really will be touching almost anything. Um, and sometimes you'll probably feel a bit silly. <laughs> that's just, that's part, you'll feel like you don't know everything. Um, and you definitely will feel like you don't know everything about what you've been hired to do, but you have to remember that your job is very different. It's no longer just to advise on the law and like a functional area or a firm practice specialty. Mm -hmm. It's now to be a voice for the company in terms of like what legislation is going to affect them. And that's a much more commercial kind of hat, I think. So, so when a person then joins your team, mm. how do you measure success of that individual? And what yes. type of goals do you set for your legal team? The thing that I've always said to my team has been what we're there to do is to enable good decision making. That's mm -hmm. it. Compliance is table stakes. Um, if if we're non-compliant in, you know, the basics of what we need to be compliant in, then that's a, that's a problem, of course. Mm -hmm. But what we're really there to add value in is have people come back to us and say, we'd never have been able to make that decision if the legal, legal team hadn't been involved. Or we would have gone down the wrong path if the legal team mm -hmm. hadn't been involved. Um, and that often can bump into the revenue side of the business as well. So mm -hmm. you really help speed up us being able to onboard that new client because we were able to remove certain terms of service and they wanted a HIPAA compliance at the same time. We weren't sure if we could do that. And the legal team was able to kind of speed those processes up. Um, but I think that that means for me, that means that the goals will change on like a quarterly basis as needed by the business. Maybe sometimes it will be to improve the uh, process, improve the time between contract sent to customer to contract signed by X yeah. period by, you know, simplifying our terms of service or adding some extra legal FAQs. Um, or maybe it would be to decrease the number of help tickets coming through about legal related questions to the customer support team, right? So there are mm -hmm. output metrics we can look at on a quarterly basis based on what we're trying to do in the business. But always, always, always the main thing is to enable the team to be able to make really good decisions. And if the team's ever working on a, a piece of work other than like kind of administrative to-dos that doesn't you that you can't look at and say will this help someone make a good decision if I finish this then it to me it probably isn't a priority but so I think it makes a lot of sense enabling better mm. decision making it can be difficult to measure um, and I know a lot of our like uh, community members and a lot of the listeners out there are right now debating mm. how do you show the value you're delivering to the business? How do you show that you've enabled those better decisions? And given that you're the COO, you're part of management and you would be the ones, uh, one of the people that would be looking at the value that the team is delivering. You have a legal background and thereby, I think, a better understanding that maybe other members of management um so so how do you as let's say the general counsel or the head of legal show that you've enabled those um better decisions yeah so i think that they, again comes down to whatever the output metric is that the team is focusing on so let me try and think of an example that we we did have at whereby um mm -hmm. one of them was around um, improving the pace between sending DPAs or terms of service to customers and then having mm -hmm. them agree to those terms of services. So say we had a new customer being onboarded through sales 
And there was usually a delay of five days while customers reviewed and talked about which terms they wanted to agree to in like a kind of custom contract. Mm -hmm. In order for us to enable better decision-making by our sales team, I would say uh, one of the projects may be increase that, uh, sorry, decrease that time from decrease that time of uh, contract sent to customer and signing by X amount of time, right? It it doesn't need to be something that's perfectly quantified. I think you do your best and then you, the the aim is to reduce it. It doesn't really matter if it's exactly by the percentage you've, you've flagged within reason. Um, And then I would work with, in this case, the, the privacy council that worked with on this project and say, what things do you think we could work on to see this metric improve to help the sales team make better decisions around uh, making the pace between contract and and signature? Um, And the decision there was made that we would simplify the terms of service and put Mm -hmm. simpler headers on the terms of service so that customers could read it more easily, to do a very simple uh, training with the sales team so they understood what they were actually sending out so they could answer some questions. And then also to create a legal FAQ doc that was sent to customers in case they started asking questions like, what does this liability clause mean? Mm -hmm. Why have we included this? Where's the link to X? Um, And in doing that, we were able to see that all of those things enabled the sales team to make better decisions and speed up the process of contract to signature by a day, whatever it was that we put in as a goal, right? Um, So that means that the the fabric of what better decision-making looks like in terms of output can change on a quarterly basis. I don't think there's any one metric that every company can adopt and say, wow, look at us, we made incredible decisions, except for like pure ARR growth, right? Pure ARR growth shows, oh, we made incredible decisions and we we reacted to a volatile market. Um, But that's just, it's too nebulous for any one team to be able to be drawn as responsible. Um, so I do think you need to be, be flexible and be thinking about every quarter, what does that improvement look like in different areas of the business? Otherwise, you'll be very unfocused. Mm-hmm. So having said that, what do you then think if you're like, I know you're sitting at whereby and you shouldn't give away anything in, in terms of whereby specifically, but if you're no looking problem. at le- legal teams uh, in general, what are some of the biggest struggles that you see that they should be addressing to improve the team scalability and, and maybe also productivity and efficiency? Gosh, that's a massive question. <laughs> we can also make it shorter, but it's... No, no, just... no. I think that's a good question. I, you know, I think Openly is not the only tool that's out there that can really improve the quality of life at, at work of legal team. Um, but it's definitely one of them, right? Um, you've also got tools like Juro that's out there now. And there's uh, there's a lot of legal tech. Law tech is, is really, I think, a very interesting area of, of SaaS. Um, and I think hopefully I'm actually almost preaching to the choir, right? If you're thinking, if you're already in an in-house role in a tech company, I imagine you've probably got a manager that's saying to you, like, how can we help leverage you as an individual more so you can be more consultative and spend less time doing admin and sending docs and updating things. Um, But the first thing I would say is I really do believe that the job of the legal team is to be doing the least amount of kind of administrative turning as possible. You want Mm -hmm. systems and tools and things to be doing that for you. And really you should be much more of a consultant to the business wherever possible to be able to be involved in early decision-making um, and to be able to kind of unblock projects that maybe need your help. 
Um, and that means I think thinking a little bit more like a product squad with that same idea of like what <laughs> output are we trying to affect? You know, yeah. like what, what is the outcome we're trying to reach here? Um, what's the benefit? Who's the people that are going to receive the reward of this? Is this just a compliance project? Because that's business as usual and that's fine. Mm. But I don't think any legal team should just be doing business as usual. You should also be thinking about like how can I really spread my knowledge across the business in ways that will really be impactful. Okay. What would your recommendation be then for, let's say we're sitting with a lot of uh, general counsels and head of legals out there today. Mm -hmm. And there, as many out there, they're probably overstretched, overloaded, overworked. Um, What is, in your opinion, maybe one of the best key takeaways from when you're looking at your own team and how you've improved their productivity? Yeah, I think it's that it's a product centric, like the kind of product idea ideology, right? Is like Mm -hmm. one of the the reasons I've seen support teams and I, you know, I hate to say that, you know, legal and HR and finance, they are support teams, but they're also very commercial teams. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the reasons that you you do see them uh, get overloaded is because they can struggle with the amount of balancing of improving things, systems for themselves. So being able to make systems work better by, you know, let's let's scrap all of the documents we have to send out to each customer and let's just, let's let's have openly instead, right? That's a, but the problem is if you're so busy doing day-to-day work, it's really hard to prioritize moving across to a tool or implementing mm. something new or changing something. Um, and the only way to do that is to really carve out that time every quarter and say, we have to ship something every quarter that impacts something that's going to help us in the long run, whether that's decreasing the amount of time to do X or increasing our effectiveness around Y, that needs to be something that's as religious as the product team. And the product product team's always doing this, right? They're always thinking like, you know, that, this, that that's their full-time job, which is very different than a legal team because they also have business as usual work. Um, but that, that comes with a reframing of things to your COO generally and mm-hmm. saying, <laughs> I know my role has been for the last year or two years fighting fires and rewriting contracts and being on calls with the sales team. I get that. But if you want to get the most out of me, what you need me to do is have a day or two a week where I'm just focused on delivering new tools, making sure that our team's able to uh, launch work that reduces our administrative burden. Um, And that may see a slowdown in the amount of fires you can fight. But what you'll end up seeing is a much bigger increase in the future of productivity and effectiveness of your team which if you can even just say give me a quarter let me give me a quarter where once once a week my team just work on projects um mm-hmm. and see the output change i think that should be enough to win a, over even the coldest hearted coo <laughs> and probably also increase their motivation would be my guess yeah exactly and like it gives you some more um it gives you things that you can be really you know there's only so much there's only so much dopamine you get from those little tasks you tick off, those fires you have to fight. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better than seeing this big, chunky thing that's really been bothering you for six months and being able to kind of, you know, really just make it happen and see see a metric improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, yeah, it gives the team a lot of joy. And it also really, it, it, I think it really matters that you can say, like, you know, when I was in this team for three years, I increased X in our customer base and I made these improvements in, you know, I was able to help us hire from the US because we needed SCCs that no one had ever written. And these are the kinds of things that are really beneficial. Amazing. So 
two small questions more. Um, and one of them being, a lot of uh, people out there are sitting and want maybe to have a seat at the table. So when you're working at the legal team, sometimes you are a part of the management group and other times you're not. And if you want to become that trusted advisor, what's your best kind of advice to them? Yeah, I think this goes back to the very first thing I said, which is the, that commerciality and being able to understand, you know, I, I, I say this to everybody in, in ops of people in, um, in legal that I speak to is the best thing you can do, especially when you're kind of up and coming into roles, ready to step into management, uh, like leadership roles, not just managing people, mm-hmm. is be kind of almost aggressively opinionated by what other people are doing in the company. And I don't mean micromanaging and I don't mean meddling in, you know, the copy that the marketing team are using. No, I mean, understanding and really wanting to understand why are people doing that? Like what, what are you trying to change and what does that mean for this other team and how are you two working together? And if you're really opinionated and really curious about the way that the business is all working together, it makes you so much better at your job, but also it makes you such a much better empathizer with the business. And you're so you're able to really like present the case studies on the, what you're working on in such a deeply relevant way for the entire company that it automatically becomes like we can't not invite that person because they really mm-hmm. get how we're all working together and they really care and they want to be involved in things. And I think it can be a it can be a, a tough line to tread, especially if you're a little more junior. You know, what does being like aggressively curious or aggressively opinionated mean? And some people can step into being a little um, micromanagey or kind of nitpicky. Um, but I would say ask for feedback if that's where you're at in your career, and you're you, you really you know just go to your manager and say I want to start going to the like the commercial meeting and just sitting there and hearing what they're talking about and writing notes and understanding it. Think it'll be helpful for my, for my next project I might work on, mm-hmm. um, and say to the team like I want feedback. If you feel like I'm meddling in things, please see that I'm not trying to meddle. I just want to. I'm really curious. I want to know how you all work together so that I can help you in any way that the law possibly can. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes people have this idea that the law is there to slap your hand when you're being naughty, but very often it's also there to help lift businesses up and make things work better. Um, and that misconception can only really be broken down by legal professionals being really curious about how businesses work so they can say, hey, there might, maybe there's a patent application we can file for for this thing you're working on. Or, hey, mm. maybe actually if we just implemented this, um, these SECs into these engineers' contracts, we could employ them in America. Like these are the kinds of things that businesses all of a sudden say like, oh, we should invite legal because they have some pretty good ideas. <laughs> yeah, and adding value and, and in, again, enabling the better decision-making. Exactly, um, exactly. So this podcast is about inspiring legal. So what would be your one advice to inspire the legal community that is listening in today? I thought about this question for a long time. (laughs) I think the thing that I the thing that I kind of settled on on this was like, there's, there's different stages of, of where my, my inspiration kind of comes from. And I'd say like at the very early stages is just 
for me anyway, just, just learn as much as you possibly can. Love every area. Even if you feel like you don't like landlord and you're never going to work in that, like just learn about it. It's really interesting and it might actually really help you later on in something. Um, so if you're really junior listening and you're like, oh, I'm never going to do that, still just love it. Just do try it. and find something to love about it. Um, if you're more senior, um, I think that the one thing that I, I would really encourage is, and the one thing I'm really grateful for in my career, is I've been so inspired by the way design uh, designers and the design community is so good at sharing the work that they're doing together. They're incredible at collaborating cross-functionally and working on collaborative pieces of work. I think the, you know legal professionals can really do a lot from that and communities like the Openly One is a great example of this starting to really exist. Um, engineering teams are incredible at sharing management best practices. They're really good at showing like this is how pro- progression frameworks should work. And these are the kinds of things that also are quite applicable. Like the legal profession, I think pro- progression frameworks probably look fairly similar across different businesses. These are the kinds of things we can be sharing with each other in a very open way. Um, but I'd say be inspired by looking at what other functions are doing and what other functions are really good at as a community. So just bigger than just the company you're looking at. And try and see what you can take away from that and apply to the legal communities. Because I think there's this bad reputation that very closed and not very collaborative and it's kind of a bit more old school. Um, But almost every single person I've ever met that's worked in legal has been incredibly open and interested and, you know, intellectually stimulated by community and discussions. There's amazing Twitters. Like there's so much to do around looking at other functions. So I would just say that never, never close your eyes to people that aren't in legal to try and get inspiration for the teams you're working in. And on that note, thank you so much, Jessica. Um, it was absolutely amazing. I have so many ideas of like how what you just said um, can really, I think, transform a lot of the ways that we're doing things today and hopefully also inspire a lot of people and listeners out there. So thank you so much all the way from New York. And um, we will hopefully uh, hear and see from you again. Uh, We are truly inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening in to Inspiring Legal. Remember to subscribe. And if you want more information, you can always go to openly.com slash community. That was openly.com slash community.